Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Thursday, June 30th, 2022. Since the 1990s, Wi-Fi has changed the landscape around the way people use PCs and mobile devices. Wi-Fi has played a pivotal role in the evolution of the smart home with infinite devices that make us more uh, productive, more secure, easy to automate our homes, and uh, particularly energy uh, savings friendly, which is always important. But the evolution of wireless capability has come at a cost. User confusion over the rapid arrival of new wireless protocols that have an alphabet soup like Persona, where the benefits are not always clear. At the service provider level, enormous opportunities exist to help consumers upgrade to the latest wireless protocols as consumers clearly desire faster broadband speeds but do not want to become home CIOs to deal with the security and home network management implications. Joining me for, to discuss the disruptive nature of the latest new Wi-Fi protocol known as uh, Wi-Fi 6E is George Wong, and Greg Owens, two executives from Calix, one of the leading global tech companies that provides cloud, software platform systems, and services to broadband service uh, providers all over the world. George and Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mark. How are you guys? Great to Thank be you. here. I'm doing great. Yeah, glad you could make it. George, welcome to the podcast as well. I, you know, I've known Greg for a long time. Uh, you, you, George, you and I are just getting to know each other. And what I'd like to do, because this is such an important topic for us to kind of dive into with, you know, the, these wireless protocols coming almost like at a rapid speed. You know, you, you can almost sometimes see consumers' eyes roll back in the head. In the head. Sometimes people are just happy to get good wireless connectivity, and they don't realize all the other benefits that come with these more advanced um, protocols. But before we go into that, what I want to do is bring up a slide to go over your backgrounds, because I think the backgrounds obviously an important thing of uh, when I speak to different uh, folks on my podcast. So George, we'll begin with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everybody. Uh, so my name is George Wong, and uh, I've been in the Wi-Fi industry for a number of decades, actually. <laughs> um, so, you know, obviously, I came from the chip background with Qualcomm and Broadcom, uh, leaders in the Wi-Fi chip industry. And uh, since then, I've moved to Calix and in the system side, very excited to see how the chip actually get deployed into a system level. So thank you. Oh, well, um, you're welcome, George. It's great to have the, your kind of technical acumen during podcasts like this. And let me bring up Greg to kind of chime in in terms of what I know. Of course, I know uh, Greg quite well, but I'd like to him to talk a little bit about his background. Sure. I think George is underselling himself as well, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> George is a real expert on all of our products and on technology in general. And if you look at what Calix has come out with, I joined Calix about five years ago, Mark, and we had one Wi-Fi system. It's called the Giga Center. We had a few different versions of it based on your access technology, but now we have this amazing portfolio of Gigaspire systems, and, and I learn something new from George every day, so I'm really glad to have him <laughs> on here as well. He doesn't always get the, the credit that he's due. So, yeah, thanks for, very much for introducing me, Mark. Uh, I work in the marketing organization here at Calix coming up on five years. Um, wow, the university references, those are a little, those seem like a lifetime ago. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I spent most of my career in telecoms as well, uh, 15 years at Alcatel Lucent, which is now owned by Nokia, mostly on the fixed access side of the business. So yeah, I've been in telecoms for quite some time. 
Well, I'm very impressed that George did not date himself by telling him when he entered the workforce and what protocol was 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 <laughs> in vogue then, because we've gone through multiple um, uh, uh, revisions of the different protocols over the last 20 years or so. You know, I can remember just the magic that happened in the late 1990s when I was at Compaq, and we, you know, we, you know, all of a sudden, you know, wireless uh, capability became apparent with the 802.11b, if I'm not mistaken. And what was crazy, all the hurdles you had to jump through just to get a, a notebook computer working with your Wi-Fi network in the office. It was truly magic when it worked, but it yeah. was not always reliable and we've come a long way since then. But let's jump into the first topic that I want to jump into, uh, which will come up in a second here. And, you know, the interesting thing is from a market trend standpoint, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of time. But if you look at all the different projections, you know, Wi-Fi 6, that's been out for about uh, two years or so. Wi-Fi 6E has just come on board. I mean, there's no question that from a growth standpoint, the market is responding very uh, aggressively toward Wi-Fi iterations of, uh, of Wi-Fi 6 and 6E. Um, there are obviously benefits of 6E that, that are very significant and tangible that we'll talk about in a second. But um, from a future-proofing standpoint, you know, when you look, look at a market that's growing at a 14% CAGR um, over the period of time that I've got up here on the slide, that's a big deal. You know, and the market is kind of responding for that kind of future proofing aspect that these new protocols afford. So, George, let me uh, ju uh, just start with you. What's your reaction to just the general market growth and and obviously why, uh, you know, Calyx is so really in a great position to offer this type of capability to its customers and to, uh, to uh, service providers? Yeah, first of all, I think the growth reflects on the mobility that people are looking for, right? The days when you have to tie down on an Ethernet cable is gone, right? People want to be able to roam around and go anywhere they want to go. So that's the reflection of Wi-Fi has grown so quickly. Now, the really amazing thing is uh, during COVID, uh, the FCC really responded in a quick way to release the 6 gigahertz spectrum, right? This really helps the market tremendously because... You know, as you were mentioning before, Mark, you know, in 1999, when we first released the, uh, you know, Wi-Fi standard, those uh, 2.4 and 5 gigahertz spectrum have been around for 20 years. Years, right. right. We, were, we were struggling with the limited spectrum that we have and things like that. And thanks to FCC, less than a year and a half ago, they released a 6 gigahertz. That opens up a huge chunk of spectrum, which basically allow us to do a lot a lot of things we can't imagine, right? It's one of those things that if you build it, they will come. And I see the metaverse of the world, virtual reality, and all those things are coming because of this huge spectrum that's opened up. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the podcast in terms of the applications out there that are really going to drive um, the appeal of Wi-Fi 6 and 6E, especially in a much more aggressive manner. And uh, I'm sure the word metaverse will come up. I'm sure the word AR and VR will come up during that part of the discuss discussion. But Greg, let me just pull you into it and get your reaction to these uh, kind of data points. I mean, there's not many product categories that are in the um, in the consumer, uh, just in the general tech space yeah. that are driving these kind of uh, CAGR rates. It's obviously very appealing and very interesting to companies like Calix. But what's your reaction? No, it's funny when George made the reference to Ethernet, it just reminded me of a conversation I had a friend with a friend of mine about 10 years ago who was building a house and wiring every single room with ethernet ports, <laughs> right? And he's like, Wi-Fi will never catch up to the big bit rates that I can get when I'm sending files between my different servers and doing my bit, you know, my peer-to-peer uh, -peer, uh, file sharing and all that stuff. And it kind of seems silly in, in hindsight, but I think George is spot on, right? I think 
it's a combination of if you build it, they will come, but also the industry is constantly coming up with new advances, right? You look at all the smart home IoT devices when they first came out, and how much power they use, and the, all the battery-powered ones became almost unusable. So you had Zigbee and Z-Wave and all these technologies coming out. Now with Wi-Fi 6 and some of the enhancements in Wi-Fi 6, those technologies, you don't hear about them anymore. Every mm -hmm. IoT device is a Wi-Fi. It's become the, a ubiquitous uh, standard for everybody. And I think George is exactly right. It's about people just want to have co complete you know, connectivity without any wires. And I think if you look at Wi-Fi 6, I know we'll talk about 6E mostly today, but just that slight improvement in coverage versus Wi-Fi 5 of only, you know, 30%, which I say slight, I think it's a big improvement. But that mm -hmm. now, now that covers all your cameras and your doorbells and all the things that are on the periphery of your property. And in my case, my backyard, God forbid, my kids are in the pool without having access to their Wi-Fi. That would be, that would be a catastrophe, right? So I think part of it is, the industry driving it, but a lot of it is also just consumers wanting to get more out of technology, and technology is always responding. So I think I think it's an exciting time. Well, just to kind of before we hit the next slide here, I think we all look to a future when um, perhaps our children look at an Ethernet port the way it's the same way they look at a, a, a rotary phone, saying, "What the heck is that?" <laughs> you know, so I, hopefully the world will be embracing yeah. it in the future. When was the last time you bought a PC that even has an Ethernet? An Ethernet chat. That's exactly <laughs> right. No, that's that. Yeah, you're right. You're spot on. So let's get to our next topic here. And that is just kind of flipping the tables here on the servers providers, um, resp not responsibly, but their role in delivering great Wi-Fi. You know, Wi-Fi has gone from kind of a, uh, I won't say a science project, but I'll use the phrase science project in the 90s to where we are, which is, it's just kind of expected to have, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was really cool. And it was a bright, shiny object in the room when, you know, someone had a wireless, a, yeah. a, a PC, a desktop or an, a notebook with some type of wireless capability. But the reality is that the service provider, a category that Calix knows quite a bit about, I must say, there's lots and lots of opportunity from a value proposition standpoint. You know, for consumers, it's obviously, you know, they want to be able to, to embrace something called a managed Wi-Fi experience, which obviously um, uh, Calix knows quite a bit about. They don't want to really be, um, I, I use the phrase CIO in my opening comments. You know, they want all the benefits. They recognize all the risks in terms of security risks, you know, because that, that network now has to be managed in some way. People are doing it. You know, some people who are enthusiasts are doing it, you know, um, because they have the technology background. But let's face it, you know, most consumers don't want that responsibility. They want remote tech support when they have an issue. Uh, they want home coverage, uh, home wireless coverage that's optimized. You know, they want better security updates that are don't require the user to spend any time, you know, thinking about updating the firmware on their router. They want it done in a seamless background type of way. Parental controls. You know, obviously that's a big, big deal with families, who, uh, with um, uh, uh, fathers and mothers who have big families and they want to be able to manage that uh, access for their children's apps in a very um, um, uh, unique way. But, from, from, but even from a peace of mind and future-proofing standpoint, it's a big, big deal. I mean, people don't want, it's kind of like, um, you know, what, what I like to tell people in home security, when you put a sensor on your window that you only can get to with a super-duper high ladder, you don't want to know that the company went out of business. Now I've got to replace that sensor. You know, they want to be able to have a long lasting relationship with the technology that they're installing in their homes. And uh, Greg, just want to get your reaction to some of those things from a managed Wi-Fi support and why service providers can really come to the rescue 
of many um, uh, subscribers who really don't want, they want all the benefits, but they don't want all the agony that goes along with supporting the, the latest and greatest um, wireless technology in their, in their homes. Well, as you and George probably know, I could talk forever about managed Wi-Fi, so I'll try to keep it brief. When I first joined Calix, after spending so many years uh, with Alcatelucent selling to companies like AT&T and Verizon, I, always, I found it very surprising that so many of the smaller service providers that we deal with at Calix we're investing literally tens of millions of dollars in building fiber optic networks, building GPON and XGSPON right to people's homes, and then handing them an ethernet cable and saying, now go figure out the Wi-Fi." And I'm oversimplifying and I'm not trying to be critical because a lot of them just like, listen, I don't want to be in the Wi-Fi business. But as our CEO says, if you're not in the managed Wi-Fi business, you're in the unmanaged Wi-Fi business. business. What I mean by that is they're going to call you no matter what. You're providing the internet connection. So whether you're providing support or not, like you talk about right in the top left there, Mark, the customer associates their connection with you as a service provider. So I think it's incumbent upon you to take that responsibility, but it also has huge opportunities and you outlined them very well here, right? I mean, it's much easier easier to troubleshoot issues without having to roll a truck remotely. Yes. Like the products that we offer, I always joke, you can do everything you can do remotely other than physically unplug the router you can do when, you know, remotely. So I think there's all kinds of benefits that you've outlined here from the service provider perspective, of course, obvious benefits for the consumer. And I think when service providers sit down and think about it, um, about the the cost of a truck roll, I'm now hearing with the price of gas and everything that's going on, we used to say $125. We're now looking at $75, $200 for a truck roll. Um, So it becomes a bit of a, a, I don't want to say no brainer, but most of the service providers I talk to really see the value of managed Wi-Fi. And it allows you to, to, to talk about what we're doing today, right? Which is offer always offer them the latest and greatest technology. So every yes. 30 months or every 36 months, you send them a new, a new Wi-Fi gateway and they're keeping up with the latest and greatest technology. And you can charge a small fee, easily get your money back, but also provide a great service to customers. Then the last thing I'll say is if you look at consumer grade systems, for example, and George and I obviously keep a close eye on that, when their 6E systems first came out, and I know you use one of them, Mark, a three-pack was $1,500. Yes. Oh, my gosh, right? So for the average consumer, that's a lot of money. Whereas money. a service provider can say, hey, you can just have a mesh 6E system, and that can, we're going to charge you 4 bucks a month or whatever the heck it is, right? So it's much more affordable as well. So I, I promised no. I wouldn't rant, and then I ranted, so I'm, I'm sorry about that. No, 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 no. I want to pull George into this, but that yeah, brand sure. I will not recommend. I mean, it's a fine product. But I have to tell you, every time I upgrade my my home network, it's a bit of an adventure. You know, now I've done done it so many times that it's kind of now a bit of um, old hat. So it's easy for me to do. But to your point, since the wireless protocols are changing very quickly, Wi-Fi 7 is not too far away. There'll be a Wi-Fi 8. There'll be a Wi-Fi 9. And, you know, <laughs> technology in this space is not going to ever come to a halt. The idea of having a managed Wi-Fi experience where the consumer doesn't have to care about it, you know, all of a sudden they're, you know, 18 months from now, 24 months from now, when that new uh, protocol becomes a um, embedded in your in your devices, all you all that can, subscriber has to do is plug it in and they're back in business. So, George, let me flip this over to you. What do you think is the most uh, important part of the service provider experience for delivering Wi-Fi? So, one of the things, Mark. Uh, what I would say upfront is that anytime when there's an opportunity, there's a responsibility. Mm. What I mean by that is that, you know, Wi-Fi is a great opportunity for, for everybody, right? 
but the bad guys also see it too, right? Yeah. So, you know, when you look at security and things like that, I mean, they would use that opportunity to try to, you know, build people money, um, build money out of people, like ransomware and things like that, right? So one of the really key things that I see for a service provider is really in the cybersecurity area, right? You want customers to be able to surf the web and do everything that they want to do at home without the worry that they're going to get attacked, right? So that's where the service, service provider comes in, right? To protect the customer from uh, cyber attack and things of that nature. And of course, you know, one of the things that people don't realize is that when you think about Ethernet versus Wi-Fi, Ethernet is a wire, so it's a deterministic technology. Whereas Wi-Fi is over the air, right? When when it's over the air, all kinds of things could happen, right? When and generally, have- and generally, bad things can happen. It's not- <laughs> yeah. So that's an area that people don't realize that you know there's a big difference between wire and wireless, right? So right. when it's wireless, all kinds of things could happen. That's why managed Wi-Fi is a must for a service provider to keep a customer happy. And not only that, but maintain that customer without any churn. So. I could not agree with you more. I could not agree with you more. Let us flip to the next topic here. And that is, and, and you know, I, George, I want to pull you into it because you're the, you're, you're the resident uh, technical expert on the podcast this morning. The, the whole note, the word spectrum uh, from a, if you're in the business, people get what spectrum is. I want you to talk a little bit about, uh, why spectrum is so important, uh, such an important part of the Wi-Fi 6E experience. And I also, so I, want, I think consumers need to understand that the, you know, the wireless signals that kind of float around us all day, a lot of that is managed by the FCC and they have to license that technology. And they do it not because they just want to keep technology down. <laughs> they do that for a whole variety of safety reasons and a lot of issues that, because you don't, you know, there, there's many wireless signals that you don't want to be exposed to from a health standpoint. So they generally have to make sure that the technology is safe before they start licensing that part of that spectrum to companies to utilize. So let's talk a little bit about what Wi-Fi 6E is from a, from a spectrum standpoint and why that part of the equation is so important. So uh, let me spot, start by telling you that uh, the FCC had auctioned off a spectrum, what, what we call a C-band. C-band sits between uh, three and four gigahertz, okay? That spectrum was only 100 megahertz wide, 100 megahertz wide. And AT&T, Verizon, and all the big guys paid $80 billion for that spectrum, only 100 megahertz wide, okay? So if I collate that into the six gigahertz, which is uh, 1200 megahertz, that's 12 times Yes. So if you t- times 12 times times 80, 80 billion, now you can work out the math, close to $1 trillion if the uh, FCC were to auction off six gigahertz. That's how much this how much this band is worth, right? But yet the FCC is basically opening it up to uh, for us to use freely, right? So that's the uh, value that we're looking at, over a trillion dollar value in the spectrum, right? Now, why is that important? Because if you look at 2.4 and 5 gigahertz, um, they are pretty saturated because everybody uses those spectrums, right? Uh, literally, every, every morning when I come into my office and I log on, right, I could see 10 of my neighbors' access points. They're all using 2.4 or 5 gigahertz, right? So this thing gets really crowded, especially in urban environment. 
Um, that's why the FCC decided to open the six gigahertz to basically allow people more bandwidth. One other mm. thing I would say is that if you look at the six gigahertz, right, <clears throat> there are 1480 megahertz channels, right? 14. So if you're in an apartment building where you see everybody's, you know, access point and things like that, you're basically, let's say even at five gigahertz, realistically, you really only have two 80 megahertz channel because the other one are DFS, right? Which is not guaranteed comparing to 80, right? Comparing to 14. So what that means is that, you know, if you're just using five gigahertz, you're going to get a lot of interference from all your neighbors. But in six gigahertz, basically you could all 14 neighbors around you can each each has its own 80 megahertz without any interference. Now, what about the 15th neighbor and 16 and so on and so forth? Well, they're far enough away, they can reuse that spectrum all over again, just like the cellular, cellular network, right? So that's the genius of six gigahertz that the FCC had opened up. So, so, so Greg, let me get you to chime in from a, a service provider perspective and the fact that there's really a messaging opportunity. I like to think of these kind of type of challenges when new technologies come out. Sure. What's the opportunity Absolutely. and why the service providers have to take a much more aggressive position on articulating some of this really good, effective marketing messaging, because a lot of what George just said is, is 100 percent accurate. There's lots of tangible benefits to it that we'll get into in, in, in a second. But. For the average person who's just managing an, a, a uh, that has a nice wireless network at home, you know, again, that word spectrum kind of, you know, makes the yeah. eyes roll back a bit. So talk about it from a service provider and the messaging opportunity. Yeah. Well, everything that George says, of course, is accurate, but the average customer doesn't want or need to understand why yes. it's the case that with the old router they had, to George's point, same thing. I live in the suburbs and I can still see 10 different wireless networks in my neighborhood. I don't live in Manhattan, right? So he's absolutely right, but they don't understand that the fact that they can see it means that it could be causing interference. All they care about is that they have the best experience possible. So the messaging that I always suggest to service providers is focus on being the partner to make technology simple. So they may not understand that there's X number of channels. Some of them don't even understand that, you know, why is it that my microwave affects my wife. Well, because they're also using microwaves, hence the name microwave, right? <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that lots of devices in their home, their garage door opener, the baby monitor can cause interference. The beauty of six gigahertz is none of those devices have six gigahertz radios or antennas on them. So this is now clean, unfettered bandwidth, right? Or frequency, I should say. So the, the message that I would give is all Everybody out there is buying the latest and greatest devices, right? The new Android phones already support six gigahertz. Some of the latest new laptops support six gigahertz. Some smart TVs already, the smart consumer electronics companies are like, wait a minute, there's Wi-Fi that doesn't have competition from other bands. Let's get a device out there as soon as possible to take advantage of it. We strongly suspect Apple will announce something at their event yeah. in the August, September timeframe. And then, so I think people want to take advantage of technology and they want to know that the, the infrastructure that supports it is going to keep up. And I think that's a unique positioning for the service provider is we're your technology partner. You buy the latest and greatest device, give us a call and we'll tell you how to keep up. So to your point, Mark, about ripping and replacing your router every single time and what an adventure that is, right? Um, our strategy, which we can talk about a little bit later, is you want to do 6E, but you only have one or two devices. Don't rip out your router. Just put a 6E mesh system in your house, one, a yeah. one unit. 
right? It's not it's not for providing more coverage because our our systems actually provide good coverage with only one access point, but it becomes a dedicated signal just for that TV or just for that virtual reality or that gaming system, whatever it might be. So to just kind of to kind of revisit here, it's about keeping technology simple, but keeping up with the latest and greatest advances. That's what I think the service provider differentiator is here, in my opinion. Right, and and I'll just add on one uh, thought on that before we flip to the next slide, sure. is that to your point, you know, just about every PC on the market that's been sold over the last year and a half has at least Wi-Fi six. We're gonna we're gonna see six E PCs Absolutely. later this year. Even Apple has gotten on board. Sometimes they're a little bit uh, slower than yeah. slower yeah. the party. They were slower than Wi-Fi six, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the interesting thing is, you know, to flip this upside down, if there's the highest probability that most people have already have Wi-Fi 6 or 6C devices in their home, yet they have a slower network. So they're hampering the, the, the performance of the network because they have, they have client devices that have the faster protocol support, yet the router, for, for whatever reason, might be at a legacy router that might be three or four years old, right. which presumably yeah. uses a much uh, uh, slower protocol. So, so but again, again, that's part of the managed Wi-Fi value prop, right, Mark? And I yeah. see... I follow a lot of our customers on Facebook and their different social media, and they do a good job explaining why you have to have the latest and greatest router. Well, why not just send it to them? Yes. Every 36 months. That's what my service provider does. You know, they'll just call me and say, hey, we need an appointment to come give you a new router because it's the latest yes. and greatest technology is going to do this and this for you. It doesn't cost me anything. It's the same amount per month I'm paying for the old one. Done deal, right? So that's another big value prop for managed Wi-Fi. Absolutely. No, that's, exa that's, exa that's exactly right. Let us uh, talk about what, again, let's go back into the whole big deal nature about uh, Wi-Fi 6E. And then, of course, conclude 6 as well. Again, George, I'll flip back to you because you are our technical um, uh, resource here. You know, Wi-Fi 6E, like 6, has unmatched speed, a potential with the right client device. It really has massive capacity in terms of the number of devices it can support on a network. Um, by its very nature, it eliminates a lot of congestion. Devices don't conflict with each other like in the old days where you could have that. That can be a, a problem, you know, with, not just with, with other uh, PCs or devices, but with microwaves because it's operating on the wrong frequency. And then there is the ultra-low latency piece. I was talking to Greg about this the other day. I didn't think that I'd see a huge benefit from a latency standpoint with my 6E implementation that I have at home. And I'm a gamer. I freely admit that. I love to play online games, especially cross-platform games. I won't get into it because that's a different podcast. But the latency is so unbelievably sharp that it's it's literally instantaneous. And if you're a, a, a online gamer, and there's a lot of them out there in families, they appreciate that that ultra-low latency benefit that you drive. I mean, obviously, it has non-gaming um, benefits as well, but. George, let me flip it to you to get just get your reaction to the big deal nature of 6E. Yeah, so I'll just talk about each block uh, for a second. So the peak speed, right? Um, even at 5 gigahertz, you could get 160 megahertz channel. Right? Really, there's only one, and you have to concatenate them together, right? Mm -hmm. Assuming that you're not using DFS channels. That is really difficult to try to get both Uni 1 and Uni 3 together in a, you know, forget about a dense neighborhood, even in a suburb neighborhood, it's almost impossible to get that. So that, mean, that means the chance of ever getting 160 is almost impossible. But as we saw on the last slide, right, there are seven 160 channels open. So to get 160 is quite easy, actually, right? 
So because of that, you basically get a tremendous amount of channel with um, for for what you want to do. And with that channel width, obviously, you come with the speed, right? The bandwidth that you need. <clears throat> and each one of them, each one of these blocks, kind of interrelated, right? The second block is the massive capacity, right? As I mentioned before, in an MDU environment where you live in an apartment, which a lot of us do, right? In in this country, most people live in the city. Um, it's very important that you get good Wi-Fi without interference. And Wi-Fi 6 is really the answer because of the number of channels available, independent channels available. And by the way, because we have, you know, all kinds of technology built into our product, right? So FCS is one of the uh, technologies that's building the, uh, building the product, uh, fast channel switching, right? So that means we can sense the interfering channels and immediately find an open channel and switch over to it. So just like what Greg was saying before, all these things that we talk about are all automated, right? Nothing to worry about, not something a user has to get their hands dirty. This is all done by the uh, router itself, right? And then the last thing is the ultra low latency, just like what you were saying before, right, Mark? You're amazed at the latency. Well, part of that is because there are nobody else interfering you, right? That in, when you have five gigahertz, first of all, your spectrum is going to be, your channel width is going to be very small. Second thing is that there's a lot of interference. When six gigahertz, there's nobody interfering you, right? And the channel width is huge. So that's, that's why you get such a low latency and be able to uh, to do all these gaming and things like that. Um, now, the interesting thing, last thing I would say is that because you're taking very high bandwidth uh, worth of application out of 2.4 and 5 gigahertz, therefore you are freeing up 2.4 and 5 gigahertz for other lower bandwidth, you know, functionality like the baby monitor, the doorbell, and you know, Alexa and all those kind of things. So it's really a win-win situation, right? In a five gigahertz backhaul environment, it's even more uh, acute, right? Because you're using five gigahertz to do both front hall and backhaul. So you're really penalizing the front hall guys, the clients, because you're using the same spectrum to do uh, backhaul. But in six gigahertz, you don't do that, right? You take six gigahertz as a backhaul, you're freeing up all the space for five gigahertz and 2.4, right? So it's really what I call win-win-win situation. Well, Greg, let, let me just uh, tease up the whole serv the service provider implication of this because, <laughs> again, these are such huge benefits yeah. and, and, and the message op opportunity, I think. Well, I think there's a couple of things I think about. We have a lot of debates here in Calix about some of these numbers that you're sharing, Mark, about you know people getting 5 gigs to their home and 10 gigs to their home. And the reality is there just isn't a device that needs that kind of bandwidth, right? But what we're trying to get across here is, I, I like to use the analogy of the water that comes into your house. When I bought my house a few years ago, I had a housing inspection and he, he said, okay, go around the house and turn on every single faucet just to make sure you have water pressure in every single you know, sink. I don't want all the water pressure that's coming to my house on one shower, right? It's like that <laughs> bad episode of Seinfeld where Kramer no. gets in the shower and the shower, <laughs> you know, that's not no. what you need. You wanna have water to your toilet while you're in the shower and vice versa, right? That's the exact same thing with Wi-Fi. It's about having that fat pipe to your house, but also having Wi-Fi for all your different devices and spreading it out. So when you right. look at Stick D, like George said, you have the big benefit of people that are into gaming, people that are into virtual reality, augmented reality, and they 
oh, I want a system with a 10 gig LAN port. I want 10 gigs to that device. Well, they don't, there isn't a device that does that, but they want it because they want the most bandwidth because what's the way to make up for latency is to throw more bandwidth at it, right? Yes. Every time you run into bandwidth, you worry about latency and latency is that reaction time. So when you're, that's what you're talking about, right, Mark, in the gaming, or if you're in a video conference, if the words are not matching the person's mouth, right? That's effect. That's what one of the symptoms of, of having bad latency. So from a service provider perspective, again, it's about providing the latest technology to keep up with the devices that you are buying in your home. So 6E, yes, it's about more speed and more bandwidth, which we're always going to have that race, but latency becomes really interesting when you want to do targeted messages. Cause believe me, Mark, your service provider knows that you're a gamer. They don't yes. have to look at your data to know you're a gamer. So they should reach out to you and say, Hey, Mark, do you have, do you want the latest 6E system or mesh satellite to help your gaming better? And right. that's a targeted message that you could go, wow. Yeah. That's something I'm definitely interested in. So that's a, a good opportunity for service providers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let us flip to the next slide here. Uh, and that is, there we go. Th there's an optimization, you know, implication of Wi-Fi 6E. Uh, and this is a little bit of an eye chart, but I think it's really representative. And, and the thing, George, I want you to get to chime in. I mean, you know, truth be told, you know, 6E is really pushing the envelope in terms of what applications require that kind of bandwidth and that kind of um, latency benefits. But my prediction is, and I'm not, I don't think I'm the only one, and I, I said this at the top of the podcast, when AR and VR applications start to come online, and they will, I mean, let's face it, once Apple gets, you know, unveils their Apple glasses or whatever solution they, they, they bring to market, and they have a killer app, and I believe one of the reasons why Apple's probably hasn't stuck their, their, their uh, toe in the uh, water yet is they really want to refine a great, um, uh, you know, killer application that will appeal to a large people to, you know, buy some type of device that will go on their head, whatever it is. That's going to require a lot of bandwidth, you know, and a lot, and, and a lot of um, technology that's low latency in orientation. So to me, there's a future proofing element of 6E that I think is important. And George, let me turn it over to you to comment on that aspect. Yeah, that's absolutely true, right? These are the most common applications that people are thinking of. But let me let me um, bring something up that people may not have thought of uh, before, and that is that you know if you look at what Facebook is doing on Meta now, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what they want to do is really wire up the entire world, right? Um, the reason behind that is that their their mantra is that the more people get internet access uh, is better for Facebook, right? Because eventually they're gonna join Facebook and things like that. So the whole idea of uh, community Wi-Fi comes into play, right? Especially in developing countries where you really cannot afford to have uh, Wi-Fi in every single home because some of those uh, developing countries, their income just doesn't match up with that, right? So what that means is that you really need more like, you know, having a poll in the center of town or two or three poles in the center of town and everybody can access it, right? Which we'll call community Wi-Fi. So in that situation, uh, you may have a couple of hundred households accessing from that same pole, which is like a fixed wireless access today, right? So for that, obviously you want as much bandwidth as possible, right? So that's really another angle to look at Wi-Fi 6E is that it's, it's beyond the, you know, first world, country application where you have the VR and AR and all those things. But when you think about rest of the world, 
the community Wi-Fi and people be able to get access into internet is very, very important. Yes. Even yes. in this country, right? So yes. um, I was surprised to find that, you know, there are a lot of, uh, you know, uh, underprivileged neighborhoods. A lot of homes don't have Wi-Fi because they yes. can't afford it, right? Right. So now if I'm, a, you know, if I'm close enough to one of those neighborhoods and, you know, I put a Wi-Fi 6E, I'm more than happy to share that with the underprivileged, you know, neighborhood to access Wi-Fi, right? So yeah. but you need a big pipe for that. And that's where this comes in. Yes. Greg, your thoughts? No, I, I would just mirror everything that George just said. And I think one of the things that the that pandemic taught us is a lot of what George is talking about in terms of inequity, right? I was at an event uh, in uh, April or May down in, in Keystone, Colorado, and we had a senator address us and talk about this phenomenon of people driving to their local McDonald's or Starbucks so that their kids could do their homework because the Wi-Fi wasn't either was unreliable at home or wasn't good enough. And I yes. think the U.S. government has responded to that with all of the funding initiatives for making sure that we get uh, fiber-based broadband and high-speed broadband to rural parts of America. I think the important thing to keep in mind, to George's point exactly, is the Wi-Fi has to match that experience. The access network and the home network are not separable anymore, right? They're, they're one thing. People don't distinguish between the two. So the, the Wi-Fi has to keep up with all these great advances. We see an XGS Pong where we're getting you know 10 gigs to the subscriber home. We have to make sure the Wi-Fi can keep up. And as George pointed out, it's not just about these new applications, which we are definitely important, but it's about new business opportunities as well, like community Wi-Fi and looking at small businesses and so for service providers, from their perspective, it opens up whole new markets and new opportunities for them to either make more revenue or provide more differentiation from their existing service or just better serve their community, depending on what their business model is. That's, that's absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. Absolutely correct and on target here. Um, don't want to spend too much time here because we've talked about it before, but sure. you know, there is a managed Wi-Fi story here. We, we kind of talked a little bit about it before. You know, Greg, let me start with you in terms of just real quickly, from your perspective, when you look at the, uh, the, the benefits of managed Wi-Fi, you know, I know as someone who's a technology um, aficionado that there are times that I really wish I had a managed Wi-Fi experience. Purely, and I, I, it's hard for me to do that because I evaluate a lot of technology that changes right. every six sure. months. But I'm un unusual. You know, you know, most people, once they have something, they want to, you know, set it and forget it. And let's talk yeah. a little bit about that because I think it's a really, really important. And there are, there are very, very specific benefits that I think yeah, for uh, sure. more, more and more people should appreciate. Well, there's three quick things that I'll mention here. This, this chart is something that we worked on in the past market. It has to do with um, what's driving people to call the mm -hmm. help desk. And the number one reason is, is Wi-Fi issues, right? So I think there's three elements of that, Mark. I, I would agree with you. The average person doesn't want to worry about it. So we build as much into our products to automate things as easily as possible. Like George hinted at, we've got like dynamic channel selection. We handle DFS. We do node steering, band steering, all that kind of stuff that all it means is that as the customer moves around their home, the router is going to decide what the connection is that's best for them. They don't have to switch radios and switch access points. That gets done automatically. So that's a big thing. Now to your point about being a technology aficionado, I think one of the things we have to do as an industry better is put some control back into users' hands through things like mobile apps. And yes, maybe the person doesn't want to do all kinds of advanced settings, but the average person probably wants to be able to use their app 
um, to see where the best place is to put their router yeah. in their home. They want to be able to run a speed test. They want to be able to change their passphrase, you know, or create a guest network when people come over, some of the more common things. So, um, and I think rather than call the service provider for that, they'd rather be able to do it themselves. So yeah. yes, I would agree that we want to make sure that, um, you know, we don't make things complicated, but for the average things, the typical things that a customer wants to do, I think it's important to give them the control to do that. And that's something that we're a firm believer of at Calix working with our service provider partners. Yeah. Uh, George, your thoughts? Yeah. So one of the things that I kind of want to uh, help us to look a little bit further into the future, actually for us, a lot of what I'm going to say is already here. It's, it's more of a predictive analysis. Meaning that, you know, we have so many customers. If, in case people don't know, Calix has about 1,600 customers in the U.S. Majority of them are in the U.S. We have enough data to allow us to provide predictive analysis from a machine learning perspective. So why is that important? Well, what's important is the reason we have 1,600 customers is that some of those little towns in the middle of Wyoming, they only have 200 people. That BSP may be four guys in the office. That's it, right? They don't have an army of uh, customer service reps, right? They have four guys, two guys maybe driving a truck out there to fix things, and then two guys in the central office managed network. You can't expect them to do a lot of things, right? So they need the intelligence to allow them to automate a lot of things, right? So our predictive analysis, when we see a lot of data coming through, we can kind of predict that some of those network may eventually kind of um, turn over or you know go bad. So we basically uh, one either fix it for them automatically, or two allow them to decide decide to override you know our automation, right? So those are the kind of technologies that our customers are looking for. They don't want fifteen hundred alarms you know coming at them. Every single day, right? they want you to take care of everything automatically, right? Just let me know what you got taken care of, and for a specific alarm, let me override them. Don't take care of them for me, right? I want these five alarms are much more critical for me. I want to deal with it myself, but rest of it you can just automate, take care of things, right? So that that's what's you know what we're working on, and basically a lot of things is already in play. But in the future, you're going to see less and less hand-on uh, needed from the service provider, right? A lot of things are going to be automated. So. Yeah, and, and just a point I would make on that, because it's, it often goes overlooked, in a managed Wi-Fi environment, the data that is being collected is being used to create a better customized experience, managed experience for the, for the user. That sometimes goes, you know, it's not about just, you know, um, you forfeiting control to the surface provider. A lot of that, inf you know, to the, Greg is, Greg's point, there's some things you obviously want to control, like parental access is a big deal that can be done. Uh, Calix has a, um, uh, a great mobile app for that, that the end user can use to kind of manage that part of the experience. But a lot of the data that's being collected is being utilized to manage a much better experience because not every home has the same usage model patterns. There are kids who are gaming, there are kids who are doing, there are uh, parents who are streaming TV. You know, you might have five or six different types of usage models that will have all kinds of different Wi-Fi bandwidth requirements that need to be managed in an optimized manner. And that's why I think the managed uh, Wi-Fi experience is so beneficial because it provides that in a very smart algorithmic uh, type of way here. Mark, can I, can I just have one? 
Can I just make yeah, one, quick, one quick point about data? I want to be really careful that we're clear here that you're 100% right and George is right about how we use data to optimize the experience. But just to be clear, Calix is not in the data collection and sales. Yes, correct. We don't, we don't even aggregate data between service providers. We never publish it. We never share it. And we never will. So just to George's point, unlike some of the companies that we compete with, our objective is not to collect data. Our yes. objective is to provide the best experience. And that is our service provider customer's objective as well. So yes, we use the data to make sure that, you know, hey, maybe you could use a, a faster connection to your home, or maybe you could use a mesh satellite, or how can we do make your experience better? It's not about, you know, can we sell you some hairspray or baking soda? Or, <laughs> or, just the examples I'm using because we get, I now get targeted ads in Facebook um, almost every day by the words that I say in front of my Google home, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> George, Greg is obviously upset about all the, uh, I guess, all the foot powder commercials he's getting on, on as he's getting on Facebook. <laughs> but, um, you know, let's we'll just, you know, wrap this up in the last couple of slides with some of the product offerings, because again, you know, you, you come from very modest roots, you know, going back a few years to having mm -hmm. a very comprehensive portfolio of solutions. So George, I'll just tee this up to you very, very quickly in terms of just the types of solutions that are out there that uh, Calix has in their in their portfolio. Yeah, one of the things one of the things that we believe is that um, unlike other providers, only offer you one type of box, which is like a mesh network. So if you have a small house, you use one box. If you have a big house, you use five boxes, right? That kind of strategy doesn't really work well for customers because uh, the more mesh you have, the more latency you have. Number one. Number two, as I said before, right? Wi-Fi technology is over the air. The more over the air transmission you have, the more chance of loss or interference. So when we started this whole journey at Calix, we believe that you know the single hop is the best option for a subscriber, right? Anytime when they can access the main uh, router, that would be the best experience. And how do you do that? Well, you do that with the most powerful Wi-Fi solution you can you can provide, right? With the right. highest power that you can provide. So you can see all these portfolios that we're doing right now, right? The, you know, whether it's a single box or a mesh or, you know, integrated OMT. And in the future, of course, Wi-Fi 6E, um, outdoor unit, indoor unit, uh, PoE, all those kinds of things. Everything is built around the fact that different people have different requirements, right? Not one shoes, one one size shoes fits all. Correct, correct. Well, let's wrap this up on the the product philosophy that Calix has. We've talked a little bit about about the market, some of the challenges, the opportunities for service providers, a lot of kind of territory that we covered. But Greg, let me get you just kind of kind of take us home here in sure. terms of the the, the philosophy at Calix because there's a lot of product discussions that obviously never see the yeah. light of day. That's the way most co companies operate. But you guys have an interesting philosophy that I think is unique. It has tremendous benefits for subscribers and end users, of course. But let's yeah. talk a little bit about that before we wrap sure. up the podcast. Yeah, the last th thing I'll just mention on the last slide is the coincidence between our old way of doing things and new ways, George's arrival, right? <laughs> I mean, George is always thinking of exactly to your point about those use cases and making sure that we're filling all those different needs, but it's not about the hardware. And I know it sounds silly to say that when we just showed a slide with a whole bunch of, of products. Yes, there are different products that fit the need, um, but we take the same approach that Microsoft and Apple and other companies take, right? You look at um, Microsoft world, if you're an IT manager and you're managing a network, 
you don't care whether the PCs are Lenovo's or HP's or or Asus or whatever brand it is, as long as they're all running Windows 10 or Windows 11, um, they mm -hmm. all look the same to you, whether they have USB ports or Ethernet ports or not, right? That's the approach that we've taken with our portfolio of premises systems. Doesn't matter if you have a U4 or a U6 or a U6X, they all run the same common platform, what we call our experience innovation platform. So from a service provider perspective, they all look the same. Yes, the features underneath are a bit different. They have different model numbers. Some have more ports than the other. But in terms of integrating them into their network, they can now integrate new systems in a day. Whereas before, any new RG that you put in your network, oh my gosh, we have to test it. We have to make sure it's not going to cause this problem and that problem. No, no, no. The new system looks ex exactly to your network like the old system from two years ago because they're all running the same operating system, the same platform. And that's right. a big philosophical difference. And of course, because of that, or not because of it, but uh, you know, uh, alongside of that, it's a containerized architecture. So mm -hmm. we can install containers. So you talked about our, our parental controls, for example, right, Mark? If a service yes. provider wants to offer that to a customer, they literally go into support cloud and turn it on and turn it off. They don't have to find the partner, do the integration, yeah. figure out the pricing. Oh my gosh, that can take 18 months. You want, you want network-wide security, like George talked about. You turn it on or turn it off. You want to offer the Command IQ app. You want to offer Arlo cameras. The list goes on and on. You can turn it on and off with the touch of a button. And again, that's another benefit of our approach. So it's not just a router that goes in your house and never changes. That's why we don't use the word router in Gateway at Calyx. We refer to it as a system because it has that, that common platform. It has that containerized architecture. And you can add new services and new features you know, for the next 10 years. We're going to keep developing. Yes, there'll be new form factors. And George will make sure we're keeping up the latest and greatest technology. But again, they'll be easy to integrate into your network from a service provider perspective. So that is a unique approach. I'm glad that you mentioned it. And I think it's something that really differentiates Calyx in the market. Well, let me, let's do this here because we've kind of run out of time here, but before we get off the uh, end of the podcast, uh, George, any parting words of wisdom in terms of the way we've covered a lot of territory, a lot of ground here, but do you have any uh, closing comments you'd like to be able to impart to the audience? Well, I George? think that, you know, we are in a very exciting period of uh, technology. And uh, we look forward to continue to serve our customers and continue to make the subscriber experience top notch. Great. Greg, any closing thoughts? No, I just want to thank you for the opportunity, Mark. And thank for the for those people that are sticking through. We're at 50 minutes. I know that's longer than <laughs> what we talked about. But I, I do think um, we're hoping that we're, we have covered quite a few tackled quite a few different topics here. So I hope it was interesting for everybody. I really enjoyed the discussion. So thank you for the opportunity. No, it, it, well, the reason why, you know, these podcasts sometimes go along is we've had a lot of great material to talk about and we could probably talk for another uh, hour or so yeah, exactly. <laughs> if we had the time. But guys, listen, thanks for the time, for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great week. George and Greg, thanks very much. Thank you, Mark. Mm -hmm.